in, uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, um, we have the beginning of the rebellion by Absalom. Absalom had murdered his brother Amnon for uh, raping his sister, Tamar. Tamar also uh, the daughter of David. And uh, David, after the rape of his daughter, did nothing. Uh, there was no consequences for Amnon. And so Absalom, after two years, took justice into his own hands and he murdered him. But then he fleed to the area of um, where his, his, his mother uh, had come from. Uh, she apparently was not a Jew, was the king of Geshur, a Gesherite. And he hung out there. But um, after a while, uh, Joab could tell that uh, David was longing for his son Absalom. And through a ruse that we read about, uh, got David to agree to bring Absalom back to uh, Jerusalem. And uh, then after two years, uh, it took another two years for Absalom to actually uh, be uh, permitted into the palace to see uh, David. And we uh, ended in verse 33 of chapter 14, which says, so Job went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then, then the king kissed Absalom. And so no sooner was Absalom back in Jerusalem or uh, in the palace with access to the palace, he starts a rebellion. Chapter 15, verse 1 says this. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. That's an extraordinary scene, isn't it? Um, 50 men running before. It, it was uh, probably what this is, was a common practice or tradition of royalty to have... Um, men running before your chariot if you were a prince. Well, he does that. He garners a lot of attention. Remember, he has that long flowing hair. And uh, he was a man we read last week that did not have a single blemish on his body. He was so good looking. So he's, he immediately uh, tries to uh, start garnering support for rebellion. At this point, he's mainly just getting attention. Verse 2, though, he uh, starts getting uh, proactive in fomenting a rebellion against his father. He has the throne. He has his eyes set on the throne. It says in verse 2, Now Absalom would rise early and stand before the way to the gate, so it was whenever anyone had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you, 
Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land and everyone who had any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. So he's implying to these people who are showing up, um, as I've been mentioning in past weeks at that time, uh, there was not a separation of powers as there is in the United States between executive, which is the president, the Supreme Court, um, and then Congress. Then it was really all power was encapsulated really in one man, the king. And so the king was a judge. And so the, uh, the, the, the harder cases uh, would go to the king and uh, uh, Absalom would recognize, somehow be able to recognize what was going on. Uh, that here's a person coming into the gates of Jerusalem. They have a case they want to bring to the king. And so he would start to flatter them and uh, bring up a conversation with them, assuring them that they would get justice if he was the one that was uh, giving justice, implying that perhaps that David uh, wasn't the greatest at that. And so... Um, then it says in verse um, five, it says, and so it was whenever anyone would came near to bow to him, that he would put his hand and take him and kiss him. So more flattery there. Uh, in this manner, Absalom acted towards all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, except um, to say, you know, how crazy it is for us to be so motivated by trying to get the approval and admiration of men. Because as you see here, it's, it's so fickle. Uh, this is part of our flesh. I read in church last Sunday morning, uh, 2 Timothy uh, 2.20, and it's, it's uh, a verse on the, about the imp importance of fellowship. It says, flee also youth, youthful lusts, that's plural, not singular, plural, and, and and, and, it's, and then uh, Paul says to Timothy, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call the Lord out of a pure heart. But lust, pure, plural, not only talking about sexual lust, um, the world is incredibly motivated by the lust for obtaining the praise and approval and the jealousy I would say, and the jealousy of men and the admiration of men, the flesh lusts for that. And um, this is a picture here of how foolish it is to really make that your life's goal. And we all get it in us. It's in our DNA. It comes from, from, from the fall of Adam and Eve. Um, this, this lust for the admiration of men. But here you say, see, in just a short period of time, David lost 
the admiration, notwithstanding the fact that he had been an outstanding governor for 20, 25 years, an outstanding king. And um, so it, it really speaks to the, uh, the folly, the, the, the foolishness of pursuing the approval the pr and praise and admiration of men. But we all do it, don't we? But, but from one moment to the next, uh, these people uh, changed their hearts. He had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. Why? With his good looks, with his flattery, and really um, with, with his lies is how he did it. Verse 7, now it came to pass after, um, after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, please let me go to Hebron and let uh, and, and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Gesher in Syria, meaning uh, uh, he's saying when I was in exile in Gesher, Gesher's up to the north, it says in Syria, saying, if the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. So it's a, a flat out lie um, here. Verse, as we will see in a bit. Verse 9, it says, And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he rose and went to Hebron. His real reason of going to Hebron is to, to basically act as a headquarters for the rebellion. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the land of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with, with Absalom went 200 men, invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently. They did not know anything. So Absalom uh, asked for a number of people to accompany him uh, to Hebron. These people didn't even really know why they were going. They didn't know that when Absalom got to Hebron, he was going to be making himself king. But he sent spies throughout all of Israel saying, listen, when you hear the trumpet, Absalom, shout out, Absalom reigns in Hebron. Verse 12 says, Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now a messenger came to David, saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out with all his household with him, but the king left 10 women concubines to keep the house. So this is pretty extraordinary here. Um, important to understand that uh, David is not abdicating the throne. He, he's not stepping down. He's not saying, oh, this is the end. Um, Absalom's going to take come over and, and, and become king. I'm just going to go to another, uh, to another place and 
live out my life in exile. That's not at all what's going on. David has the call of God on his life. He knows he's supposed to be king. And he has an enormously healthy view of grace because um, under normal circumstances, if a person did not have the spirit of God and they did not understand grace, uh, they would be thinking, surely the sin, my sin uh, with Bathsheba killing her husband and every other sin I've ever done, I'm now being repaid and uh, I'm getting what I, I paid for and uh, I'm just going to go off and live in exile. But David, as we have been saying throughout our study of David, understands grace. He can, can he, he can, he, the apostle the, the Paul says, let us not be unaware of Satan's schemes. And scheme number one of Satan is accusing you and condemning you and bringing up past sins and saying, surely no person such as you should be doing something for God. That's the scheme of the devil. But what we have is the blood of Christ. What we have is the promise in Hebrews chapter 10, which says, by one sacrifice, the, um, God perfected forever those who are being sanctified, that are all our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. David understood the concept of grace. He does not abdicate the throne. He's, we're going to see he's going to hold... He's going to hold on to it, but he he immediately band, abandons the city because he doesn't want Jerusalem to be destroyed. He doesn't want the temple to be destroyed. He uh, doesn't want the people to be destroyed. He has such a love. The, Jerusalem, if you go through the book of Psalms, and and, and indeed some of the things, uh, some of the things that um, uh, in the Psalms are are David's reverence for, for Jerusalem. I, by the way, I said he didn't want the temple to be destroyed. He didn't want the tabernacle to be destroyed. Saul, temple's not going to come along till Solomon. But um, uh, David had such a reverence for the city, he abandons it. Uh, it's so important that we always be seeking the Lord because I, I, I got to tell you, um, as again, another theme that's been coming up again and again with David, what is a good idea is not necessarily God's idea. And a good idea would have been, of course you don't forsake the city. Let's build the trenches and defend this place because this guy Absalom is a madman. Uh, no, they don't do that. Uh, he, the, the Lord actually draws them away from the city and um, we're gonna see it's the perfect plan, safest place to be is always in God's will. And so, amazingly, strangely, David abandons the city, but he is not abdicating the throne. He is not abandoning his position um, as the shepherd of Israel. He, uh, sometimes shepherds got to do things that look awfully odd in order to protect their people. And so, um, he abandons he abandons Israel here. It says that, verse 17, the king went out and with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. So he stops at the, uh, at the outskirts of the city. Now, the following verses are 
among the most fascinating verses in the Bible. I could have a set of probably six sermons just between now and the end of, of the chapter. A fascinating set of verses. And it's about the people who stayed with David, who didn't, all of Israel went over to um, Absalom, the previous verse says, but that was a hyperbole. Actually, uh, uh, hyperbole is a, a literary device. Uh, it's not not a, a lie, but it's a, as a general rule, um, everyone left uh, and followed Absalom. But you have these people who stay with him. And then you have um, a couple others who were, who were, I will say, rogues, bad guys, hypocrites. And, and each one is a study in and of themselves. So David's going to the outskirts of the city and these people that are sticking with him pass by him. Uh, the, the, the first, it says, then all his servants passed before him, all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. So here you have uh, three groups of people, and uh, none of them, my understanding is, none of them are Jews. But they have been with him for at least by now, something like 25, 30 years. It says they were with him in Gath, meaning before he became king, when David was uh, hiding out in the land of the Philistines in Ziklag, uh, they joined him there. And uh, it's interesting how these foreigners stick with David, but so many others in Israel, Jews had, had passed over uh, to to Absalom and and really what it what it um, what it shows here is the remarkable witness that David himself was for the Lord. Uh, a verse I've been quoting a lot recently in teachings. Jesus says in John fifteen, "You didn't choose me; I choose you." And appointed you to what? Bear fruit, fruit that abides, fruit that, fruit that reproduces itself. And uh, David was a guy where when they saw him, he was a signpost to the living God. He was the real thing. When people uh, uh, came across his tracks, they, they, there was, there's something about this man's God that I want to follow. In, in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus is taken up to heaven, um, he says to his disciples, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. What were they to be? Witnesses. What's a witness? A signpost to Jesus Christ, a signpost to God. David, just remarkably, uh, was a man who just attracted people from many nations. And they became, as we'll see in just a second here, 
full-on proselytes or uh, converts um, to the one true living God, Jehovah. And these people, they're aware that now they are vastly outnumbered, that they are going to take a huge risk by staying with David, that they will be murdered and killed and assassinated if Absalom's army takes over David, they follow him anyway. And that's, that's because I believe here, these are genuine converts to the living God. And they're, they're, they're principled people that they, they, they follow righteousness. Um, is it um, Micah that says, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, so the first, that first phrase, to do justice. And, and they see, obviously, following this man, Absalom, who's been making quite a scene of himself, um, having a yearly festival where he uh, cuts and sells his hair and running around um, with 50 men in front of his chariots. And, and so a genuine convert uh, they know a snake when they see him. And, and so they're sticking with David, which um, really is an example of, uh, uh, I believe, of the life of Christ. By this, your father is glorified. Jesus also says in John 15 that you bear much fruit. And fr fruit is what? It's, it's life that reproduces itself in the, in the lives of others. It's when the witness of your life is reproduced in another's life uh, and it, it multiplies. Verse 19 says this. This is an extraordinary couple of verses. Then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite. So again, this guy is not a Jew. Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. So this guy is staying with, uh, wants to stay with G uh, David, and he only came, arrived in Jerusalem the day before. But he, sa he says, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where, return and, and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. So this is the real deal. This is, uh, this is uh, and we're going to see this in this chapter. Uh, th this is real, true, spiritual fruit. What is the Galatians 5.22? List off the fruit of the spirit. Love, peace, kindness, patience, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. And um, here he is. He has everything to lose by sending these guys back. Um, and, and he's just being honest with them. You know, recently there was someone who uh, has kind of found himself in nowhere's, uh, nowhere, no man's land. He, he doesn't live in Massachusetts. And uh, we were talking about the possibility of him just coming up here and seeing if maybe the Lord would use him here. But I, I had to tell him I would never recommend coming to Boston. It's a very, very hard place to do ministry, but pray about it. And if you want to come, we're, we'll, we'll receive you with, with open arms. It's, 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 it's really good. It's Christ-like 
to always be treating others as a foot washer. You're washing their feet. You're serving their feet. We, we don't build our own kingdom. Um, we, we, we don't put our own interests first, especially when it comes to people. No, we do not do that. And here he is uh, looking after these foreigners who are uh, really, they, they are converts, mean, meaning they, they, uh, they've converted to the living God. So let's, so, so David's saying, you know, don't take this risk in following me. Um, but here's the response by Ittai the Gittite. Verse 21, but Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. Wow. <laughs> Uh, I, I tell you, uh, again, um, we find out there that he is a genuine convert to Jehovah because he begins his statement, as the Lord lives, as Jehovah lives. When you see Lord in the Old Testament, it's all caps, Lord, all caps, that's Jehovah. When you see capital L um, and then small O-R-D, that's Adonai, and that's, that could be uh, addressed to a person, uh, kind of when someone addresses their master or something like that. But there's only, all caps, Lord, that's Jehovah. This guy's a, a servant of the living God. And so he, um, although the spirit of God, it doesn't live in him, that's not going to happen until uh, Jesus Christ uh, gives the Holy Spirit to his disciple. He has uh, the Spirit of God upon him and, and upon his life in, in a very real way. And, and he knows. He knows what's going on here. And he's following God's anointed. He's following um, God's people. He knows where uh, God's people, um, who God's people are, and he's following them. So David says to Ittai in verse 22, go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country, verse 23, wept with a loud voice and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron and all the people crossed over towards the way of the wilderness. And so the weeping, you know, Jerusalem uh, is uh, the city of God. It's, it's the city that was prophesied by Moses that there would be a city that God was going to choose for himself to dwell. And, uh, and uh, uh, he, uh, they're leaving the city under the worst possible circumstances uh, the, the, the people that are following David, again, I believe with all my, uh, my heart, they know Absalom is a snake. They know that, uh, or, or I shouldn't say they know, they are, have every reason to believe that uh, with Absalom as king, things would be a disaster. And here's, uh, here's God's kingdom here being brought into great disrepute by Absalom coming. And it says they all wept. They wept. And they uh, passed the brook Kidron. Verse 24. So the next uh, folks to cross 
David or to go by uh, David is uh, the priests and the Levites. There was Zadok also and all the Levites with him bearing the Ark of the Covenant and they set down the Ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. And so Zadok, Abiathar, two godly men, again, uh, at the risk of repeating what I've already uh, repeated, <laughs> uh, Zadok and Abiathar, they're godly men. They know who Absalom was. They know, they know, they know who David's anointed. They know that. Uh, they uh, wanted to, to follow him because he was, uh, God's anointed, and so here they're bringing the uh, they they took from the uh, the tabernacle the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, there it's it's on pole. Just read this in the last couple of days. I'm going through Exodus in my own devotion time. It's required to be uh, carried about. Uh, the The Ark of the Covenant was on uh, on on poles, which were on the shoulders of the priests, and it was a foreshadowing about how. Uh, we ourselves would become bearers of the temple, uh, be bearers of the spirit of God, of God himself. Uh, when after Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. But um, uh, he, so they come up with the ark of God and verse 25, it says, then David, uh, rather than the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling. But if he says, thus I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. So what he's saying here is, uh, look, carrying the Ark of the Covenant around the countryside with me um, that's not a good idea. Uh, remember, the Israelites did that under Eli the priest. They, they, uh, they took it off into war like it was a lucky charm or something, and it wound up being stolen. David has such reverence for God in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, he, you just see the surrender here. And it's hard to emphasize, overemphasize the importance of this point. God brings you in your life to from, from milestone to milestone to milestone, different times in your life where you're, you're going to have to choose to surrender or not. And at this point, he's just surrendering to the Lord, completely surrendering to the Lord. You know, in so many situations we find, our, find ourselves in, uh, we, we, we convince ourselves, oh, this is so confusing. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. When it's not that at all, it's just that we don't want to do it. Um, it. It's actually what we're supposed to do is really, really simple, but it, but it's hard. And um, this is an example. It's clear to David he's supposed to leave the city. Now, what he could have done is just start um, operating in the flesh, getting garnering as many people to himself. Oh yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, bring that with me, and just fleshing out. Instead, there's this amazing sense of surrender and and brothers and sisters oh how important 
we need to surrender ourselves freshly to the Lord on a regular basis. And that's what he does here. He says this, he says, if, verse 25, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me not, bring me back. But if he says, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. So just trusting in the Lord, saying, Lord, whatever happens here, if I die, it's your will. Let it, you know, let the Lord do what pleases him. If I don't die and I continue and I serve you, let that as well. But don't be running off, protecting yourself, uh, fleshing out, garnering strength, trying to preserve your life in, uh, in your own, uh, with your own uh, wit, your own intelligence, your own strength, your own resources. It's a fresh surrender, a fresh surrender. Again, I'm going to repeat it because you and I should be saying this on a regular basis, but particularly when we reach milestones in our life. I don't know. You lose a job. Uh, there's a death in the family. Um, some crisis happens and there's a betrayal in your life and a, and a relationship. Again, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no delight in you, here I am, let him do to me as seems good to him. That's surrender, Calvary Chapel. And that's what you want um, uh, to do, just fresh surrender on a regular basis in your life. And uh, he doesn't want the, he has such reverence as, as well for the Lord uh, that he doesn't want to risk the Ark of the Covenant maybe getting destroyed in battle or something like that. So he says in verse 27, he says, the king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer, meaning a prophet as well as a priest? Uh, return to the city in peace and your two sons with you, Amahaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. And so, aha, right there, important little verse, verse 28, we, uh, we read, as we're going to read uh, more in this very same chapter, David's not advocating the throne. He's telling them, you go back and you be a source of intelligence for me. Again, he says, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me, meaning they're going to be like spies there and be sending messengers to him, telling him what is going on, what is Absalom doing, and uh, uh, how might he regain power. Uh, verse 29, therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. So David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. And he and his head covered, and he had his head covered, and he was barefoot. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went. So uh, just David says in Psalm 51, I, you know, it, Psalm 51 is a, it is a psalm worth reading at least once a month. And it has those verses, those famous verses towards the end, where David says to the Lord, sacrifices and offering you do not desire, but a broke, broken and contrite heart 
that you will not despise. And um, so David doesn't hear, uh, doesn't hear, he's not offering sacrifices to try to bribe the Lord back uh, into his favor. He's surrendered to the Lord and is just weeping before the Lord. Of course, he knows and it fresh in his mind or what Nathan told him after the sin with uh, Bathsheba and, and Uriah the Hittite that the sword will never depart from his uh, house. And he's, he, he, he's mourning uh, once again here. Uh, now, it's important that once we're forgiven, we don't spend the rest of our life mourning. But there are certain landmarks, and this would be one in David's life where he's realizing he brought this on himself. He's mourning, um, and uh, he just the just the he had such again reverence for the tabernacle, reverence for the city of Jerusalem. It was the city of, of Zion, the place of great strength. And he's having to leave his his own son is uh, rebelling against him, and he is weeping. Verse thirty one. Then someone uh, told David saying. Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And so Ahithophel, uh, as we also will find out later, it was said of him that when he gave advice, he was, he was on the king's cabinet. And it said of him, when he gave advice, it was like listening to the oracles of God. And he had been, David had been relying on his advice for uh, years and years. He had been relying on the advice of Ahithophel. And he tremendously wise counselor. And when David finds out that Ahithophel has gone over to Absalom, the first thing he does is pray. Uh, you know, I beg you, and I speak to my own heart as well, to take, take good advice from this, whether it's a small thing or a great, uh, a, a great thing. Let your response, as soon as you receive uh, news that is alarming, immediately pray. You don't see here when he finds out that Ahithophel has gone over to Absalom, you don't see him say, okay, well, let me get my smartest guys around me and we'll, let's begin uh, trying to figure out how to uh, come up with plans that there's no way that someone like Ahithophel will be able to overcome. No, he immediately prays to the Lord. Um, if your computer's on the, uh, on the lurch and you... Uh, uh, and you don't have the slightest idea. As soon as you find yourself beginning to be vexed in your spirit, frustrated, pray to the Lord. Uh, just last week, I was uh, I took a few of the the, the kids in the church down um, to Cape Cod, and uh, I have a motorboat down there, and uh, um, it uh, it's a small boat. It uh, it it fits five or six, uh, actually five people. And uh, so five of the kids were with me and we got in the boat, We went through all the trouble of getting the boat into the water. And uh, I tried to start up the boat and just over and over again, it wouldn't turn over, 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 over again. And, and, uh, 
it was um, very, very humbling. Um, these guys, I was with five boys. They were all really eager to, to get out on the water, see what it was like. And, uh, and here it was. And I just stopped and we prayed. We prayed uh, right then and there with them. And uh, sure enough, next time, <clears throat> started right back up. And we had a glorious time. Um, but but those are those are computers and, and, and motors are small things. When you get when you get it devastating advice, as this was for a hith, uh, for for David regarding Hithwell, someone comes in uh, and and tells you that uh, someone was killed, or perhaps someone comes in and tells you that a child uh, or a good friend has sinned greatly or someone comes in and, and, and tells you that, um, uh, that uh, some great financial thing has happened. Just stop right there and pray. And that's what David does here. He knew the Lord. And the second he hears that Ahithophel was among the conspirators with Absalom, he says, oh Lord, I pray, uh, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness and verse 32 now it happened when david had come to the top of the mountain where he worshiped god there was hushai the archite now um before we get to hushai which is another sermon of itself almost notice that david is worshiping god i i, I mean this is the humiliation of his lifetime. This guy has been king now for uh, something like 30 years, and uh, he's having to leave with a few hundred people. The All of Israel has turned um, their hearts away from him. And what's he doing? Worshiping God. I, I, I can't um, emphasize it overemphasize this either that the place of your greatest humility is the greatest place of worship where you realize that you have no power no strength no reputation anymore no nothing and just worshiping god anyway i tell you you know when you look at that scene in mark chapter 14 and i i i i can't I can't stop sharing about that scene in Mark 14 where the woman has an alabaster jar filled with costly oil. It's believed uh, that that oil in that alabaster jar that she anointed Jesus' head with was thousands and thousands of dollars. Some people think it was her dowry that she was had saved up. She breaks the alabaster jar, anoints his head, Everyone else is criticizing her except for one person, Jesus Christ. And um, he is so pleased. He says, wherever the gospel is told, the story of this woman is going to be told. And it is in all four gospels. And uh, this, is the example, this is the example of a Mark 14 kind of humiliation where rather a mark 14 breaking an alabaster jar and letting your costly oil out where you're at the most humbling place everyone's turned against you your wealth is gone reputation is gone, whatever it is 
just saying, you know, God, I'm following you anyway. I don't follow you on the basis of good things happen to me. I don't follow you on the basis of everything. You know, if things fall in place for me, I'll, I'll follow you. No, I don't do that. Um, whatever it is, Lord, you are God. You know best. You're under control. I'm relying upon you. I'm telling you, you do that. You are blessing the heart of your Savior, breaking that alabaster jar, um, letting the costly oil out, anointing the head of your Savior when you do that. And that's what David's doing here. At the, at the most trying time probably of his whole life, he's worshiping God. He's basically lost almost everything. He's worshiping the Lord. And so the next guy to come up is Hushai the Archite. He came up and to, to meet David with his robe torn and dust on his head. David said, if you go on with me. Now, Hushai was uh, previously listed. It's either here or Chronicles. He's actually listed as David's friend. Uh, I believe it's Hushai where it's discussing David's cabinet. He's got a head of war, head of finance. I got a recorder, a scribe. And it says David's companion or his friend was Hushai. And so this was his friend. And uh, David says, listen, if you go on with me, you're going to become a bird to me. Now, it's probably because he's older at this point. Or uh, David here is probably around 55, 60 years old. This guy may be, I don't know, 70 years old or something like that. And it's, uh, look, we're going to be out running around uh, the wilderness. I'm not sure I can take care of you. You're going to be a burden to me. Verse 34, but if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now be your servant. Then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, with you? Therefore, it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimeaz and Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything you, you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. And so uh, here uh, you have... Again, uh, proof that David did not abdicate the throne here. He didn't abdicate his calling. He didn't give up his calling as to be shepherd of the, the, the people of Israel. You know, if God's called you into something, uh, no matter how bad things get, you need to continue. You need to continue no matter how bad. And, and, and so... Uh, he's fleeing Jerusalem not because he's abdicating his calling, but because it was wise and it was what God wanted him to do. So he sends this guy. How do we know that um, he's not abdicating his calling? Because he's sending Hushai back into Jerusalem to be a spy for him. And he's saying, when you find out, in, uh, uh, number one, uh, Hushai, you need to defeat the, the uh, advice of Ahithophel because Ahithophel's advice is so solid um, we're going to need someone to, to try to uh, counter it. So I want you to do that, Hushai. And then when you find out information, you're going to tell Zadok and Abiathar about it, and they're going to send their sons 
as intelligence um, out to me so that we can better uh, do battle here. So verse 37 says, So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Chapter 16, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, who went, who met him with a couple of saddle donkeys and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness. And then the king said, and where's your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said, today the house of Israel will restore the king of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. And so uh, here... If you remember, and you've been with us in the study of First and Second Samuel, Mephibosheth is was one of Jonathan's sons, and when the Philistines were attacking Saul and Jonathan, and Saul's son Jonathan, uh, the Mephibosheth was uh, Jonathan. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, and his nurse fleed with him, apparently fleeing Jerusalem, because the, the Philistines were attacking. I'm not, it's not clear where they were living at the time, actually. Um, actually, yeah, I don't know. That, it's, it, it's unclear where they were living at the time. But his, uh, Mephibosheth's nurse drops him, or she falls, or he somehow falls, and he breaks his an ankle. He's permanently lame. After David comes to power, he wants to bless any descendant of Jonathan. Well, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is still alive, lame, living out in Lodabar, which means a deserted place, brings him back and says, I, I was such good friends with your father. I made a commitment to, to, to bless his family. So you come and sit at my table permanently. And, um, and then uh, Jonathan's servant his name is Ziba. Uh, David told Ziba, Ziba shows up here in chapter 16, listen, I want you to serve uh, uh, Jonathan's son Mephibosheth for the rest of your life. And so Ziba shows up and he is saying to David, here, I'm bringing all these provisions for you um, to take care of you. David says, well, wait a second, where's your master? Where's, where's um, or the son of your master? because originally he was Jonathan's uh, servant. And, and Ziba here, uh, almost certainly, scholars are in agreement that he lies and says, well, Mephibosheth um, stayed back in Jerusalem. Uh, he knows that you're departing. And he's thinking, well, since I'm the only descendant of Saul around, I can become king. Now, that is patently absurd um, story. Uh, absolutely crazy 
uh, David's judgment, um, what, actually what's really going on here is Ziba resentful of having to take care of this lame uh, man uh, wants to basically uh, somehow overtake all his Mephibosheth's possessions, which he successfully does here by lying about what happened to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is lame, and he was helpless living in Jerusalem, as we will see later. But this guy, Ziba, is a shark, and what's going, what's going on with him is that he, uh, um, he's thinking to himself, who, who, in the end, who's going to win this? Is it Absalom or is it David? You know, I've, I've seen David in, ap- in action. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to win. And so he's making a calculated guess here about who's going to win in the end. And he's betraying his master uh, or the, the son of his master uh, who he is responsible for, Mephibosheth, and tells a lie about him. And, and, and David, it says, he says to Ziba in verse 4, here, all that belongs to you, it belongs to Mephibosheth, is yours. So, ching, ching. Or I keep getting that wrong. I, I got to get it right. Ching, ching, or whatever it is when the cash register goes. Ziba strikes it rich, or so he thinks here. And uh, ka-ching, ka-ching. Ka-ching, ka-ching. That's it. That's it. Uh, he strikes it rich here. Um, his plan is successful. And uh, David here is in a moment of weakness. Um, as we know, uh, you know, David's in a crisis here. And uh, I really believe here in, in a moment of weakness, he, he doesn't, um, you, you know, he doesn't see what's really going on here. And so he says, okay, that's it. That Mephibosheth guy wanted to uh, betray me. Um, everything he has is yours. And Ziba says, I humbly bow before you that I may fi- find favor in your sight, my Lord, O King. Okay, 8.15. We're going to talk about uh, the last person we're going to talk about before we close is this guy, Shimei. Now, this is a classic. Uh, the last guy that they run into, uh, I guess later on they're going to run into s- some more guys, but um, the last guy in these two chapters they run into is a guy named Shimei. Shimei. Oh, my. Shimei is a real bad guy. If I could be a poet. Verse 5 says, Now when King David came to Basharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. He's talking to David here. He's calling David a bloodthirsty man in the road. Verse verse 8, the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hands of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you're a bloodthirsty man. Verse 9, then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, 
why should this dead dog curse my Lord the King? David, why are you going to let this guy, this random dude, curse you? He's throwing stones at you. He, he, he is insulting you. He's calling you a rogue. Um, he says, please let me go over and take off his head. So uh, uh, Abishai, who's Joab's brother, said, let me just go chop this guy's head off. Who does he think he is? Uh, uh, behaving like this, throwing rocks at you. Verse 10, then the king said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and his servants, see how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may the, this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went through stones at him and kicked up dust. Wow. What in the world? I mean, 3,000 years ago, the fact that this was David's response is astounding that he didn't immediately just have one of his guys kill this guy, Shimei. Now, who is this guy? Well, he's a Benjamite, which means he is of the same tribe of Saul. And what he is revealing here is that even though David, Saul has been dead now for about 30 years, he is still secretly um, hoping that a Benjamite will regain power. And he has been resentful for David all these years. And he has been rebellious in his own heart. And uh, he's coming alongside David. Now there's a ravine. So, so it's kind of like a sharp hill. Um, and he's on the other side of the ravine. He's close enough to be heard and throw rocks at them. So, so you know, you know, rocks are bouncing off of David's armor or whatever. And he's cursing him. And just so remarkably, when Abishai says, let me take his head off, says, no, he says, the Lord's ordered him to do this. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and he'll, he'll repay me with good. Uh, and so... Um, you know, this is what you would call solid food. Uh, we were in a senior leaders meeting on Sunday night, and it was a, just a fantastic time with the senior leaders seeking the Lord. And, and one of the things that um, I shared with the uh, senior leaders team is this in this time of this quarantine, um, it's just so important that we uh, be like, uh, that we be like Elijah. Uh, when he was in a famine, he was fed meat by the ravens, solid food, meat by the ravens. And in the book of Hebrews, um, it, talk, it makes a distinction between uh, solid food and, uh, and milk. And it says in verse 12 of chapter 5 of Hebrews, 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk, not solid food. Verse 14 says, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. But that's not you, the, the writer of Hebrews says to them. Uh, and I was telling the leaders, look, listen, we need to pee. Uh, not like the Hebrews, we need to be like Elijah because we need solid food in this time because if we're not eating solid food, uh, we're, we are going to be become impatient. We're going to be taking, uh, the, taking our lives into our own hands and we're going to be doing real stupid things. We need, need to be taking solid food. And uh, someone asked, well, what is solid food? What in the world is solid food? Well, uh, we gave a couple of examples of solid food, but you want solid food, Calvary Chapel? This is it here. Uh, solid food is something that a, a new believer just may not be able to, uh, to stomach. It's just too intense. It's too deep. Um, but, but as time goes on, if you're not eating solid food, you're going to fall by the wayside. We need to be eating solid food. So what's the solid food here? The solid food is that sometimes the Lord brings calamity into our lives. Even someone cursing us. And solid food is rather than respond in any way at all, let them do it. Because it could very well be from the Lord to humble us. To bring us to a place of humility. To bring us to a place and and and. It could even be that, that, that the Lord is training us. He may be chastening us. Um, but to, you know, it just shows the, the spirituality of David. It shows why every king after him was um, judged by his righteousness. Let him alone, he says to Abishai. Let him curse. For so the Lord ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look at my affliction and the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. In other words, the Lord will look at him cursing at me and say, you know, G uh, rather David's not responding in a way that's of his flesh. And he's responding in a way that I have ordered him to respond, which is to keep his mouth shut and let me have vengeance vengeance is the lord we we read about that in romans chapter 12 and um amazingly it says in verse 13 it all continued shimei just kept on cursing him and throwing stones at him and kicking up, up dust utterly insulting uh the man who had been the most powerful person in, in israel and david's just taking it and basically saying Thank you, Lord. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm, I'll, I'll wrap it up right now, but uh, Paul th talks about um, the thorn in the flesh, which he has asked the Lord to remove. And uh, three times he asked, but uh, the Lord said, no, no, Paul, I'm not going to do it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Well, here's um, more solid food for you. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. 
by the way, that's what Shimei was doing to David. He was reproaching him. I take pleasure in needs, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That is solid food, Calvary Chapel. And that is what you need to be eating during this time when you feed off the word of God. This is solid food. Surrender to the Lord and just accept it as coming from the Lord. We need to be like David in the time of affliction and just say, hey, you know, um, this is from the Lord. I'm going to humble myself. I uh, am reading this book by Jonathan Edwards. I'm finishing it up. It's called Religious Affections. And in the book, um, he goes exhaustively on, you know, what is the mark of a real Christian? And he goes on and on and on. Humility, uh, loving enemies, uh, self-control, gentleness, meekness, and he goes on and on and on. So little that we see in our day now. Um, the, 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 why? Because the devil wants to try to destroy the witness of the church of God. The devil wants to make our, the church, wants to make Calvary Chapel and every other church look just like the world is right now, while they are uh, just destroying each other with their words and otherwise.